This is the Epilogue audio experience. It's also such an exciting experience because you get to meet so many amazing people doing so many amazing things. I believe there is no better time to start up than now. And the startup ecosystem in India is so vibrant that I'm just loving, I'm buzzing on the energy of what's being created here. Hey everyone, my guest today on this episode of Jamsters is Arjun Vaidya, co-founder of the direct-to-consumer Ayurvedic products brand, Dr. Vaidya's, which got acquired by the RP Sanjeev Goenka Group. And now he dons the hat of a venture capitalist as the India Ventures Lead at World Invest. Also, if you've been wondering whether Arjun and I are somehow connected because of our Vaidya Vaidya background, well, that's an unfortunate no. In fact, it all started with Arjun's wonderful LinkedIn message in my inbox late last year, and I'm glad he did. Welcome on Jamsters, Arjun. It's a pleasure to have you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hardik. It's a pleasure to be on this show, and I love the show, and I feel honored that you've invited me to be a part of it. Fantastic. You know, your journey has been um, such a ride and I actually got to know this once you sent the message and, and probably I was living under the rock all this while. Um, so you've got to excuse me for that. Uh, so once you sent the message, I had the opportunity to understand more about what you do and your journey. And it was definitely interesting. I want to jump back to a time when you started off uh, in uh, the private equity space uh, with uh, L Capital, which I think is now L Capital in Asia, uh, the Louis Vuitton's uh, private equity arm. I'm very curious to know, man, I think from that to doing what you're doing right now as an investor, um, what were some connecting threads that made you do these transitions when you started off in private equity? Yeah, so look, I think Hardik, let's, I think we'll have to go back way before that, right? So I think my life story and what I went through all, all through my years, right, have a lot to do with what I ended up doing. Our last name, Vedya, means Ayurvedic doctor. I come from a family of 150 years of Ayurvedic doctors. My grandfather, great-grandfather and generations before all Ayurvedic doctors. Uh, the legacy of our business, Dr. Vedya, was actually not a business. Uh, it was one Ayurvedic clinic, which my great-grandfather ran, my grandfather ran generations before him. And we have a large IP of Ayurvedic formulations passed down from generation to generation. My grandfather was one of the most successful Ayurvedic doctors in India. He had 300 to 350 patients a day coming into his clinic, 12,000 patients on a monthly basis, trying to buy a post. But he never cared for sales, distribution, marketing strategy. He was a doctor, right? And, and doctors and businessmen don't see eye to eye so much. So my dad, when he graduated from college, he wanted to build it into a brand, my grandfather's clinic, but they didn't end up, my grandfather didn't end up understanding why he had to spend money to get people to come to his clinic. So my dad eventually went his own way and started a business in the jewelry and watch space. And he's been running that successfully. Uh, but look, I grew up with juvenile bronchitis. Right? I grew up with asthma. I grew up with pumps, nebulizers, inhalers, steroids. Uh, and I didn't have a normal childhood because of asthma. I'm a huge cricket fan. Uh, and I was moved off the cricket field by my grandfather at age seven. So I always felt like, you know, asthma is limiting me from doing something. And when I started Ayurvedic treatment, right, I saw changes happen in my life. I started getting better. And when I was 15 and a half, I was completely cured of asthma. And I started playing cricket again. I became captain of my school cricket team. So Ayurveda and what it gave me meant more than just my family legacy. I then went to the US for my undergrad. Um, and I saw a move towards natural organic products there. I saw yoga being repackaged, right? yoga mats, yoga gyms, yoga apparel, Lululemon, multi-billion dollar industry in the US. And you know, I'm someone who's very patriotic. So I thought to myself, like, this is all Indian. 
but indian companies don't have anything to do with this proliferation and that didn't that that made me sad it made me unhappy and i remember calling my grandfather from campus and saying look we have to be indian companies taking ayurveda to the world something has to be done right came back to india then in 2013 straight of college started my first job at a private equity fund called l capital investing largely in the consumer sector right and i think my experiences at l capital look i was an analyst there i i met 150 entrepreneurs across cars and bikes apparel retail food and beverage wines and spirits luxury goods um and i think my experiences there shaped a lot of my thinking going forward right so i grew up in an india obsessed with imported products i grew up in an india where i was gifted a japanese electronic sharpener for my 11th birthday from a store that only sold imported products and this changed when i came back and i came back in 2013 i worked at a fund which was an investor in fab india and i saw customers happy to consume quintessential indian products i also saw e-commerce was here right so i was the youngest member of the team and i remember e-commerce was just kicking off right think about 2013 14 mintra just started jabong pepper fries evame bluestone and got the good fortune to interact with all of these companies through my time as an investor and saw that e-commerce was not just a fad it was not just a wave it was here to stay and i also saw ayurveda coming back right so ministry of ayush creation government change prime minister modi talking about ayurveda everywhere he went um and patanjali revolution happening and all of these things really excited me right so this was the macro that i learned as an investor while i was at uh, l capital and that eventually shaped a lot of the way i way i thought about my business and, and what i do now interesting I'll dig a little deeper there. So, um, when you said that you were at that phase where you were exposed to some incredible entrepreneurs and you were at the wave of the e-commerce building in India, um, how much of this? And 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 I'm curious to know this because this is a question that I ask almost every entrepreneur or successful creator out there. Um, is that how much of this do you attribute to just pure luck, uh, good timing? Look, I think. I put a LinkedIn post about this as well, right? Hardik uh, and I and I believe in this. So you can't solve for luck, right? Right hmm. place at the right time just happens. So you can't solve for luck. But our job as entrepreneurs, founders, creators, whatever we may call ourselves, right, is to show up every day and catch the luck or catch the opportunity. So look, I had this family legacy of Ayurveda. I had the good fortune of working in private equity. I had. the good fortune of getting amazing exposure in the us coming back getting a great job then my grandfather passed right and so we had this rich legacy these formulations just lying there and no one was doing anything with it right so mm-hmm. while i was in the right place at the right time to have this ayurveda legacy to have these formulations to catch the wave etc all of that taking that punt and quitting a job that i was earning at age 23 24 30 lakhs a year you know and that's a big amount for someone who's that young in india right So True. taking the punt to quit that job, swallowing the bitter pill of being a founder in an early stage venture. Look, uh, today everything about Doctor Vedya seems exciting and great and big brand, mm. big mm. scale, exit, all of that. The first two years of this company was really tough. Nobody gave us attention. Nobody cared for us. We were a new brand with no money, young people. It it was really tough, right? So I think what I would say about luck and right place, right time is. You can't solve for that. Maybe you'll be in the right place at the right time. Maybe you won't. But if you show hmm. up every day, at some point you'll get the opportunity. You have to be there to pick that opportunity. That's my view on that. Hmm. Interesting. So you know the reason I ask is that we're living particularly in a time where you know 
passion economy is the word and everyone wants to do something in and around what their passions are um was ayurveda a passion for you when you took that punt and made that jump happen look i think i wouldn't say it was a passion but it was something that meant a lot to me because i tell the story right so look hardik i i used to go to hindu gym khana at age 5 i love cricket i absolutely love cricket right mm-hmm. and at age 7 i was taken off the cricket field okay and i was made to play golf and squash and as a kid who's 7 years old just imagine a 7 year old kid trying to play golf i mean you're missing 90% of the ball right not even hitting the ball <laughs> super frustrating because all my friends were playing cricket and football but my dada said that the the fields are too dusty in bombay so you can't be on those fields cuz it's really bad for you with with asthma right so i felt like that took a lot out of my life then then i think also uh, you know i never had ice cream till i was 13 years old i remember going to baskin robbins on a sunday night with my parents and i had to wait till the vanilla ice cream melted and had it as soup i was the mm. only kid at birthday parties who had did not have coke fanta limka sprite because it jacked my throat so i was not i was just having water right and all my friends were having this so ayurveda had like an impact for sure on my life because when i was 15 and a half i was cured and then i started playing cricket again right that's the first thing i did and i was made captain of my school cricket team now, now look i'll be honest right hardik because you said be totally frank uh, i was captain of a school cricket team where there were like we were 90 people in our batch 50 hmm. boys 20 wanted to play cricket only 12 ever showed up to practice and three of us showed up to every practice and i was the guy who may have sh- showed up and showed most commitment so the coach mm-hmm. said that look you're not the best player for sure you're not the best player but you're definitely the most competent that's what i want in my captain and for me that was really big moment in my life right to sort mm-hmm. of get rid of asthma to become captain of my school team very very big moment in my life so was ayurveda my passion not sure it was my passion but definitely had a huge impact in my life and meant more than just family legacy i remember promising my grandfather from campus i will do something with this legacy and so mm-hmm. that's what got me to take on this legacy after he passed right but but look hardik you know this all entrepreneurs have that aha moment right you're thinking about it you're like okay maybe yes no and then some some point in your life that that light bulb just lights right and so for mm-hmm. me it was my dad's 50th birthday uh, april 2016 i was still working in private equity but i was thinking about doing something entrepreneurial Uh, mm-hmm. there was a small party in the garden of my dad's office building that his team had hosted for him and they asked me to give a speech so i gave a speech there about my dad and the impact he had on my life by this time my dada had passed his clinic was running as a dispensary so there was no doctor there only old patients who came with prescriptions would take mm-hmm. the take the medicine right and so after the ceremony i gave my speech etc all of that my grandfather's nurse of 17 years she came up to me and she said arjun you're talking about all of this but are you okay to let your grandfather's legacy die are you going to let it die and for me she said this with tear and eye and i was like this is the time i'm 24 years old i have nothing to lose i have only to gain but i have to take forward my grandfather's legacy so that was the moment that everything turned and i quit my job and i just started on this journey Hmm that's uh, that's certainly a motivation and I think I want to circle back to that point you mentioned about uh, showing up and the analogy and the story that you shared about cricket I I I certainly believe it's it's a simple thing but it's not easy to do right to show up consistently and 
keep on doing and and whether that's coming out of passion or discipline uh, that that can be probably discussed at a later point but the idea of showing up in whatever it is that you do whether you're learning an instrument or whether it's like you mentioned about showing up for cricket you might not necessarily be the most talented but i think that's where hard work beats talent right look hardik i i have had a hand eye coordination problem since i was a kid right so um it took me 10 times the amount of effort to do anything in my life than it took normal kids um and so pretty much i i i i'm i have been a hard worker since i started because i had to put in more work than everyone mm-hmm. else right so it comes naturally to me to be honest if you ask me was i a hard worker or a smart worker i was a hard worker i put in the hours i may not be as talented but neither was rahul dravid right and and mm-hmm. he made it work. that's one such a simple way of looking at things but i think uh, we we complicate a lot um and i and i was uh, thinking about this uh, navy seal uh, jocko willink i don't know if you've ever heard about him extreme ownership is his concept so he says that discipline equals freedom and uh, the idea that if you are not feeling good about getting up at 5 in the morning you still do it if you don't want to hit the gym you still do it um and part of the reason why i'm also saying this out loud is that you take up any venture that we have done over the past uh, you know our our whether it's education whether it was at your private equity or startup uh, or whether it even it comes to podcasting as well uh, the idea to consistently show up i think you mentioned right like right place right time you create your own opportunities you create your own luck I agree with you one hundred percent. Right, you create your own opportunities. You have to be there for when the opportunity is. And look, I think uh, things don't come easy, right? Like if you think about the startup space as well. I speak to a lot of young folks, right? And a lot of people come to me and and they say like we're reading about all these unicorns. Even we want to start up. We want to do a tech startup. Five years ago, it was App Banana, hai, right? But mm. what you don't realize is. the journey the struggle the roller coaster the ups and downs that go through it right look if you talk about dr vedas as my example right that's the example i know best and now i'm an investor angel in like 40 companies as well and i see my founders and and the the way they struggled as well the headline at the end doesn't show the hard work the consistency the discipline that took to get there right and sometimes you don't even know what else the founder has done in life right so so mm. for example i had this uh, founder chetanya ramalinge gowda um, he's the founder of wakefit very famous mm-hmm. largest e-commerce mattress company chetanya's third startup was wakefit and the other two did not do as well they 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 failed and he had to shut them down right today he's one of the most coveted entrepreneurs in d2c but look at his journey and what he went through to get there interesting interesting and have you ever felt this because i think as as entrepreneurs um I don't know whether you've you've had this thought ever with you, but there is this constant uh, need, uh, desire to prove yourself. Um, have you have you ever felt this imposter syndrome uh, during a journey? And if you did, how did you combat that? Look, I think there's two things, right? One is you have the tremendous pressure of expectation, right, around you, and whether it's friends family team members people looking at you looking at your startup press etc all of that there is this huge amount of expectation that's a huge burden on a founder which causes lot of mental stress and hardik i i may not have talked about this as much but burnout is real right and i have felt mm-hmm. burnt out multiple times in my life because as a founder you just keep going like if there is an email at 2 am you and this 100 email you do it you'll wake up and i remember once uh, 
So we used to have a product called, we have a product called Live It Up in Dr. Vedic. It's an Ayurvedic hangover shield, right? Hangover cure. Now, mm-hmm. the marketing of this product was done through restaurants, bars, clubs, pubs, lounges, wine shops, right? Um, and initially, I was finding it very hard for any bar to agree to promote the product. It allowed me to even sample the product. Nobody was saying this guy's credible, etc. all of that. I remember once one bar owner, I've been trying to get to him, trying to get to him, trying to get to him, never replying, never replying. Randomly, on a Wednesday night or Tuesday night, he called me and said, uh, I'm free tonight, can you meet? He was about one hour from where my house was. He called me at 9 p.m. I said, okay. And he said, come to meet me at my bar at 11 o'clock. I was like, fine. I just took my car, got into my car, waited outside his bar from 11 o'clock to 11.45, met him from 11.45 to 12.30 at night and then drove back home. And I guess that's what you go through as a founder, the constant hustle. But one thing I would say, Hardik, is that now that I am sort of a little bit more experienced, I'm 30 years old, uh, the one thing I did totally wrong was not take a break. I think through my through my four and a half years, five years building the company, took almost no breaks. I remember my wife and I were building it together. We barely took a honeymoon. We got married while we were running the business. I was approving hmm. a social media post as I was on my way to my Bharat. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like uh, never took enough of a break. And, and that's one thing I, I talk to founders about. I'm like, take the Sunday off. Take half the Sunday off. Don't check your phone. Don't watch. Don't read emails. You know, like take some time off to recharge those batteries. It's really important because it's high pressure all the time. You're constantly thinking, making things happen. And, and it's a roller coaster, but it's also a treadmill. And at some point you need to stop, pause, like, like I would say a startup is sprint, pause, repeat, right? Hmm. And so you need that pause to be able to sprint again. You know, one of the things that I, uh, you know, I've discussed with a bunch of founder friends and, and we've got friends who've come on, on in the, in the role of a VC also on Jamsters, um, is that one of the things that, that really irks me is the sheer, you know, the way people look down on sleep, um, sleep doesn't get the, the adequate respect it deserves to really recover and perform. That's one. And also the pure 24 seven hustle culture. I understand there are demands. I understand everyone wants a piece of your time. Um, but, but you know, when, when, when guys talk at, at a level, which is extremely mature, the founders who made it, um, they often talk that nothing is as pressing except maybe a very few issues that really demands your time at that point in time at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning. You can pause it if you're probably more efficient with it. W- what are your thoughts on this, man? Yeah, look, I think uh, there are days when I remember staring at my laptop screen and not doing anything, but still staring at my laptop screen because I had to tell myself that I'm doing FaceTime, I'm at the office, etc. all of that. And so I think uh, with experience, for me, there are times when you're not efficient and it's okay. Just like shut the laptop, uh, mm-hmm. take a walk, pause, meditate, do something to get it back because otherwise you're just opening the computer and looking at it, staring at it. Right? And I did that many times because I was, look, I didn't know any better, right? But, but thinking back on the experience, this is what I start doing now. And one of the things that really is uh, a concern uh, is that uh, of mental health. 
um and i i hope uh, these conversations become common occurrence and people hire coaches or at least talk to people because at least i mean i was at least one of those people who was shy to talk about my struggles i'll be very honest um and it almost felt as if i am giving away a piece of me and becoming vulnerable in front of everyone um but obviously experience teaches you a little better what has your journey been with uh, you mentioned burnout a little while back so that's why i'm tying that conversation here is in terms of handling mental health issues or maybe having someone to bounce off ideas with and particularly you had your wife as the co-founder here yeah look i, I think it was really important right it that, there is a story of bringing trisha in as well because i think that that will sort of explain the journey so uh we i started dr vedyas it was in october 2016 we were talking all about d2c today but at that time like d2c was not even a term in india right it was just mm. something we had heard of uh, from from the west and so uh, we started offline failed miserably in offline um so we had a big launch event in taj lands in october 2016 and i posted that photo of me at that launch event for national startup day so i remembering it more vividly now and we had some distributors they came there six distributors signed up we did 10 lakhs worth of primary sales and i didn't know what primary sales meant i just thought okay i sold 10 lakhs worth of goods that's great i didn't realize that primary sales meant me billing to the distributor distributor had to bill to retailer retailer had to bill to end customer only once the end customer bought my product would i get paid and 3 months later we got 9 lakhs or 90% of this 10 lakhs worth of stock back and i was shocked shell shocked i was a Look, I was a good student. I went to a good college. I had a good first job out of college. It was a huge failure for me in life, and I hadn't seen so much abject failure, right? And and then I sort of reflected, and I realized, look, we don't have a right to win. We don't have enough money, and we're up against people who are been in the market for hundred, one fifty, fifty, twenty years. So what's our right to win here, right? And at that time, I remember I was dating Trisha, and she said, look. Why don't you look at online? She was part of the founding team at Nike, and she said, "Why don't you look at online? There's just huge opportunity there. I've seen it in my experience at Nike." So I convinced her to come on board. We got engaged, and she joined the business. And I think it was really helpful because in a consumer brand, right, you have so many different things you do, right? From supply chain, production, legal, HR, IT, admin, regulatory, sales, distribution, marketing, strategy. marketplaces website tech all of these things and and was tough for me at 24 25 to manage it and so i got someone on board whose incentives were totally aligned who was excited to build with me and also very importantly right a uh, complementary skill sets i was the mm. big picture guy i was the front facing guy i i went on for interviews i interfaced with investors i worked on the brand but the day to day engine of dr vedyas ops logistics day to day performance marketing day to day accounting that was all done by trisha and i was okay to give it away because she was better than me at that but on the exports on the factory on running the factory on the big picture on the brand on the social media on the content on the large sales and large development that was all me nice um so she was also at goldman right yeah so she went to college in the uk she went to uh warwick and then worked at goldman for 3 years and then uh, came back to india worked at nike and then as an impact investor in telecap um and then joined me as my co-pilot and i think how do you think about right best decision i made just the best decision i made because 
a lot of the best decisions we made at Dr. Vedya's were made because of Trishan. So I think very important to have someone you can bounce things off. But I also want to say here, Hardik, that look, it's as important to have a mentor, right? Or mentors. Um, and after we exited Dr. Vedya's, we are trying to be these mentors for the DTC ecosystem, right? So I give 12 hours mm-hmm. of my week. Saturday is 1 to 7, Thursday is 1 to 7. Two founders for free, no strings attached, right? We've invested in 40 companies, but look, whether we invest or not, we're happy to help. Now with that, uh, you know, thought that you are giving back to the ecosystem and you, you've built a, a business and exited it. Uh, a step back would be when um, the RP Sanjeev Goenka group uh, wanted to invest in you guys. How did that really come about? And um, what was the genesis of the idea to actually have capital on board? Look, I think uh, Hardik, when people ask me this, right, considering I have investment expertise, the best reason to get capital is to be a catalyst, right? And so we started our journey with online in November 2017. Uh, and that time, we didn't even know what our online business meant, right? So we were doing one order every three days on our website. Uh, and for a year, we learned about digital. So we learned about Shopify, WooCommerce, Facebook, Instagram, Google, marketing, performance marketing, SEO, uh, tech, conversion rate optimization, order. So was this, was this while holding your job or when you had made the plunge uh, to start? Oh, we had made, taken the plunge already, right? So... We were running the business October 2016 launch, pivoted to online, relaunched our website in November 2017 uh, with 29 products. But we spent a year learning online, right? And that year was mm-hmm. the formative year of Dr. Vedas, talking to customers, taking the customer care phone home on Sundays, talking to every single customer that called us on a Sunday. So I think that was that was the journey where we learned a lot about D2C, about e-commerce. And from there, right, November 2017, November 2018, that was when we established product market fit. We said, okay, We've got from zero to 50 orders a day now. 50 orders a day was a big landmark for us, Hardik. We, I remember cutting a cake at the office for 50 orders a day. 30,000 mm. rupees uh, sale for that one day. And and why was it a monumental moment or milestone for us? It was because at 50 orders a day, we had hit product market fit. Right? That was 35% sort of customer acquisition cost. And then we said, look, now on our website, we know how to scale this. right? And, and we know what's happening here. And that's what we said. Now that we know what's happening here and we can scale it further, we need capital. So we scaled from 50 to 100 orders, 100 to 150 orders, 150 to 200 orders. And then we said, now it's the right time to raise capital, right? And we had pitched to investors even before that, Hardik, but nobody, no, everyone knew we didn't have product market fit. And when we established product market fit, we went out and pitched to investors and we said, this is why we need the money, right? We know we have scale available to us, but this is why we need the money. And that made the pitch more interesting, exciting. And we met a bunch of investors. Then we chose RP Sanjeev Goenka Group in June 2019. They made the investment because they had the most conviction towards what we're doing and, and believed in what we were doing and what that we could make it large. Um, and, and yeah, so I think raised some capital from them, scaled the business exponentially from there and then eventually exited the business to them. So the idea to uh, exit the business was uh, at the start when you were raising funds. I mean, I understand this is a byproduct of eventual uh, uh, capital raise, but uh, what, was this something that you had, you know, foreseen that you would want to do this um, and, you know, turn the hat and become an investor later? Not at all, Hardik. Look, a lot of people come to me and ask this exit question, right? Because we've had an exit and it's pretty rare to have exits or it was rare when we did it. It's becoming a little bit more common now. My first advice is don't build a business to exit. Because if you build a business to exit and you can't exit, you've built a business that you're not interested in yourself, right? 
build a really high quality business if an exit comes great if it doesn't come continue to build it but build a really high quality business so the objective was never to exit the business it was one thing that came along through the journey at that point at that point in time we thought it was fair value only the founders know whether it's the right time to exit or not you may tell me it's the wrong time you may tell me it's the right time but only we knew what we were doing at that time and for trisha and i just seemed like the right decision but we never ever built a business to exit and that's the worst thing a founder can do you build a high quality business if an exit or an investment comes along on its way great but don't build a business to exit interesting um you know uh, vinith rai was uh, on the podcast uh, sometime back and I, i i must admit it was one of the most wonderful chats i've had with him uh, on jamsters and and i urge all the listeners who are listening in that you must catch that episode he some, said something very interesting that um investors are very close to resources and entrepreneurs are not um you were on the side of being very close to resources when you were in the private equity side or trisha was with goldman um in the investment banking side um and then to switch gears and then become a entrepreneur um when the transition happened you know i think for a lot of people uh, money is is a very complicated feeling i would not say subject it's a feeling money um did you have complex feeling about money letting go uh, having you know no sort of safety barrier or did you have a cushion built in because you had capital at the back to sustain maybe for uh, for some time both of you look it's really tough right first to quit your job because you move from certainty to uncertainty that paycheck doesn't come at the end of the month so it took me a while to take this decision but let's let's dig deeper into the resources point right so as an investor most people answer your emails right most people reply to you and the world is a little bit more structured and stable and the biggest shock to me as a founder was this bottle vendor is not replying this raw material vendor is not replying i dropped him a whatsapp he didn't reply what do i do right and and then i remember going to my dad who is an entrepreneur and saying what do i do he said show up at his office give him a call call him till he picks up the phone that hustle mm. i had not seen until i became a founder and so the first few months i was just shell shocked right and uh, as a early stage founder who's not really done much right uh, it's very difficult a uh, feeling because nobody's giving you attention or a ear um and i had to go through that and i think it was the best learning for me uh because you get knocked down multiple times you have to keep getting up again right so my one of my favorite songs growing up was this song uh called tum thumping by chamba wamba uh mm-hmm. i'm a big cricket fan so this was the anthem for the sharjah desert storm series where sachin scored those crazy hundreds against australia but the words of that song are very very meaningful right the vo- the, the the chorus says i get knocked down and i get up again nobody ever going to keep me down right mm-hmm. so that's what a founder has to go through in the early part and thick skin to be able to fight failure with grit and resilience that's what i learned in my early days uh, and the other thing i'll tell you hardik which i which i'm a big proponent of is hey like i liked what hardik was doing I thought it was really cool. I heard his podcast. I dropped him a message on LinkedIn with no agenda. I just said, "Hey man, you're doing some great work." And I really liked your podcast. And then that led to us having a conversation, and and that led to us being here, right? And I'll give you another example. Like when COVID, the first wave hit, Zomato was listing grocery products, right, essential products. And so I wrote to someone in Zomato who was in charge of Bombay and um, said, "Hey, I think you should list our Ayurvedic products. It's totally relevant to today." And the person said, "Not interested. Doesn't make sense, etc." All of that. 
So I said, look, it makes sense. Like, why should you not risk my products? Everyone's demanding these products right now. So I wrote a cold email to Dipinder Goyal, right? In 15 hmm. minutes, I got a response saying, Arjun, amazing, great journey. Thank you for writing to me. Connecting you to three people in Zomato. Let's risk the product, right? So being open to cold reach outs, going up to people, talking to them who you don't know, uh, getting rejected multiple times is okay, but like, I got what I wanted in, in that conversation, right? And so today people ask me, you reach out to people on LinkedIn and we don't even know them. How do you do it? So three in 10, four in 10, five in 10 reply. I'm happy with that, right? Some people I can build really meaningful relationships with. And by the way, the, the initial relationship with RPSG started by a, via a cold LinkedIn message from Suhail mm. Samir. Suhail Samir is now the CEO of Bharat Pay. He was the FMCG head or CEO of RPSG at that time. He LinkedIn messaged me saying, hey, I, I just find what you're doing really interesting. Can we have a chat? And that led to multiple chats, led to an investment, led to an acquisition and led to a great friendship now, right? But it was a cold reach out. And you know, the the ability to, you know, uh, write well is such an important skill, right? As Rajan, I think I think we will echo that feeling quite a bit because I, I see your posts uh, now observe uh, on LinkedIn as well. The ability to write uh, clearly also means that you can think Clearly, you can process things clearly uh, while writing is such an iterative process. You only get better with time. Uh, but I think the the simple message that you sent me about, hey, love your work at Jamsters. This is who I am. And, you know, would love to connect that just simple message really set the tone for, hey, you know, let me just uh, look him up and let me see what he's up to. Probably we could, uh, you know, strike up and have a conversation. And then Jamsters happened. It was it was just the way uh, things are written with each other. Absolutely. And look, I think uh, contextually reading, reaching out to people, right? Uh, and and I also say like, if you like what someone's doing, appreciate their work, right? I Very true. Proponent of that. Like big proponent. If you like what someone's doing, go and appreciate their work. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I'd love to get your advice on this is that uh, the the skill to write clearly, um, would there be any advice for you? Because a lot of founders would want to reach out to investors um, and um, they may not know how to word their pitch correctly. Um, what would be some pointers that you'd recommend someone who's reaching out to an investor um, in, in a mail or in an Instagram DM or a LinkedIn message? Sure. Look, I think uh, I learned the first class I took at Brown in the US was uh, academic writing, right? Or it, and, and I grew up in, in in an India where, like, in school we were told write more, and and we 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 used to see in ICSC like who wrote more pages in their exam, <laughs> who wrote more pages in their exam, right? Oh, and I remember this one. This class, and they said write less. And, mm. I, and I changed the way I wrote. So, so what the few things, right, that I that I understood from here is um, short sentences, no use of unnecessary flower language if flowery language if not required. The first line of every paragraph needs to have set the context for the rest of the paragraph, so that even if the person reads only the first line, they know what what you're trying to say. And contextual reach out. I've got so many emails from people. But I know it's a forward. I may not look at it then. Hmm. Very important point. So what what would you recommend, Arjun, that someone write to you in the mail as a founder uh, when they're looking now that you as an investor as well? So what what would be um, the top, you know, three, four points that uh, would be a good starting conversation uh, in the mail? Look, I think 
contextual reaching out is one right like why why do you want to have a conversation it could be anything it could be mentorship it could be advice it could be funding it could be whatever but contextual mm-hmm. reaching out number 2 like what is the reason like what's appealing in the business right because look as the startup ecosystem is maturing and and as we're seeing so many funding rounds happen the number of startups is also increased so why is this opportunity compelling what's your traction what what is the business right because there are times i've read an entire email of like one page and i don't even know what i'm supposed to respond or do to that right so oh, wow. so establishing the context getting the traction getting the metrics up there that that entices the person to read it that's number 2 and number 3 ensuring that you're concise enough that the message is delivered but not using 5000 words or 1000 words if you can deliver the message in less than 300 words right and, and my limit for my linkedin post is 300 words you know deliver the message inside 300 words hmm hmm one of the things that i've observed arjun is is as a founder and who's who's more outward facing founder uh, a key part of building a brand these days has become self branding um, and how do you position yourself rather um, as as a, someone who's a thought leader is linkedin the one platform that uh, you recommend uh, being out on and if you do what sort of content should a founder share look i think this a lot of talk about this whole personal brand thing right and i feel like share what means something to you and share what you like to write about don't just share stuff to be there in fomo etc all of that right like mm. i write what i care about i don't write stuff that i don't care about right and and so if there's something that's happened in the startup ecosystem and doesn't mean something to me i won't write about it i'll acknowledge it but i won't write about it and so i see that like for all of you who are keen to start sort of writing start writing stuff that you can it's like college essays right i remember mm-hmm. someone told me this and stuck with me write about something that means a lot to you because it'll come out in your writing and and similarly i would say whatever you're doing wherever you're creating content it has to mean something to you don't create content for vanity metrics create content that genuinely quality content and the rest will will flow on its own so do you also mean that uh, it should come from a space where uh, they really know the subject very well is that is that like a prerequisite uh, that they should really know the subject in and out or it could just be following the curiosity and putting some structure to the content and putting it out there to seek yeah, feedback i think doesn't matter right whether you know it well don't know it well it should mean something you should resonate with you i would say that's important Hmm. and in an in an you know world that we're living with constant overload of information um i'm curious to know arjun how is it that uh, you retain information and then make it applicable in your life there is an overload of information i feel it every day there is so True. much to read you can't read it right and so you got to use your time effectively i'm not an expert at it i'm getting better at it but you have to use your time effectively right and and you have to be very good at prioritization If you tell me, are they going to need to see? Have you read everything? I, I can't, because there is just so much information, mm-hmm. so much. So then, how does that come from, uh, Arjun? Uh, are you are you more a reference based person that if someone recommends me a certain piece of content, I'll read that, or are you more of a person driven information consumer that I like this author, I like this thought leader, I'll probably consume there? Uh, how do you filter this? Because I think that has been a and that is a, a real challenge right with people about what to consume and what not to consume yeah look i think it's a mix of two things one obviously referred content from people that i 
consider people who are thought leaders, people I respect. And the other is once you start reading a certain type of content and it's adding value to you, you continue reading that type of content from that publication, from that author. So I think these are the two ways that I do it, but there's no right answer to your question. Hmm. No, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I'm just looking at what is your personal take on this. I'm, I'm not looking for the absolute correct answer here. Um, and when you were building, and this I think probably is applicable to a lot of founders, is that uh, have you ever sort of felt uh, that this new trend is catching up? I'd got to latch onto it while you were building Dr. Vaidya's or a new product in the market. So I'm probably essentially referring it to the the shiny object syndrome. Uh, that how do you how do you keep yourself in check and not allow yourself to get distracted? Look, I think I'm a big proponent of you have to be good at what you're doing and have a right to win, right? So while I was building Dr. Vedas, food delivery was really hot. I was building Dr. Vedas. I could not do food delivery. So hmm. even though food delivery is really hot, I'm not the right guy for it, right? And and when I we teach a cohort on D2C, my wife and I, uh, and, and when you think about products, right, we ask our cohort members to answer three questions. What is the problem? What is the solution? And why do I have the right to win? Why am I better than everyone else? And the third question is also really important. So shiny object syndrome is there. You feel the FOMO, etc. all of that, but you can't win every battle, right? That's a great question. So uh, how is it that someone can use leverage uh, to, and, and this circles back to the third question that why is that particular person the right person to do it? How does, you know, someone identify uh, Arjun, their leverage, uh, their moat or, or their unique capabilities? Look, I think you know it, right? You know what you're good at, you know what you excel in, and you know what you don't excel in, right? And Hardik, let's take your example, right? Your your focus, your interest is podcasting, is content creation, is voiceover artist. These are the things, you're a creator, right? These are things you're good at. If I tell you, Hardik, go and run a pharma factory, um, it's a great opportunity. It may not be your forte, right? And to accept that is a big deal. So look, for example, everyone says create content, create content, create content. I like to create content on LinkedIn. And so I'm going to create content on LinkedIn. There may be a hundred thousand Instagram influencers there who are posting reels all the time. It's not for me. I'm not doing it. That's, that's life. Interesting. I mean, this really uh, is is important uh, to keep in mind because I think the FOMO thing is so real, right? In in the social space, uh, that the need to be on every single platform and ace every single platform, uh, the numbers, the analytics, uh, the need to be an influencer, get brand endorsements and sponsorships. It is really crazy. Um, and and one of the things is. And, and I've seen this with, with a lot of people is that the importance to be centered um, comes from a very spiritual space uh, about who you are as a person, just the self-awareness. Um, were you always self-aware as an individual or did that take practice for you? And was it like more school of hard knocks kind of situation? Definitely school of hard knocks. Uh, but I think there is two parts to it, right? One is to be self-aware, the other is to be able to push yourself. I think being overly self-aware and saying, no, 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 I can't do this is also not great, right? So it's mm. a balance. You have to be self-aware of what you're good at and what you're not, but you have to also convert your weaknesses into your strengths, right? And work on those. You can't just say, hey, this is my weakness. I'm not going to do anything on it. Fine. You may get from zero on 10 to three on 10, but work towards it. And then whatever you're good at, like pursue that and push that. So as, as someone who's a first-time founder, uh, what are some things that they should be aware of as pitfalls or important advice? 
Look, I'd say Hardik three things, right? Number one, failure happens every day, and so you have to be able to fight failure with grit, resilience, and a resolve to rise up. Number two, as a young founder, you end up trying to do everything on your own, but you can't do everything on your own, and so having a good, strong, empowered team is critical. And number three, entrepreneurship is not a side hustle. A side hustle is a side hustle, but creating a startup is not a side hustle. And so, you can't be slightly pregnant with entrepreneurship, right? You have to be in, or if you're out, right? And it's okay to be out, but if you're in to build something hyper scalable, you have to be completely in. Look, uh, Hardik, my podcast is my hobby, right? I enjoy doing it. I do it, but that's not my full time. What I do, right? And mm-hmm. so, I spend some time on weekends on it. But if you want to build something of real scale, you can't spend some time on weekends. On it, right? That's my view. The slightly pregnant uh, analogy was given by your dad, right? My dad, correct. <laughs> that is that is uh, an interesting way of looking at things, and definitely makes it uh, very visual uh, about what you want and what you should pursue. Um, not giving it a half-assed effort. Uh, as as an investor right now with Whirl Invest, um, what are some things that you recommend founders uh, that when pitching uh, they need to keep. at the center of the conversation or whether that's you know facing either the investor or just at the outset yeah i think great one um, i'll give you a few points right number one like be prepared for the pitch right so know who you are going to meet do your research on them and create a contextual pitch that's number one number two don't spend 8 or 10 or 15 slides getting to the point get to the point fast to interest the person have your hooks ready and number 3 i would say be open to listen right listen to the other person take the feedback read the room and then respond this is the feedback i would this is the side where the founder reaches the investor hmm? now i'm very curious you know because i spoke to a dear friend of mine um, an angel investor himself and uh, uh, i was curious to get his take on this that what happens when an investor wants to reach out to a very interesting founder uh what happens in that case and and how have you approached that uh, conversation gap or what has been a starting conversation like look i've been in both uh, spaces right so correct um, i have no embarrassment shame fear to reach out i reach out if i like what someone's doing i have a conversation mainly to an investment mainly to just a hello and a friendship whatever it is i go for it i don't really have um any sort of qualms about it and and i share why i want to connect why i like what they're doing and and my background and then if the person wants to connect great nice nice is there ever an itch to get back in the startup ecosystem again as a founder maybe in the future hardik to be honest i've just got done with my journey uh, so it's a good time to rest to relax and and recharge but i think look uh, as an investor it's also such a exciting experience because you get to meet so many amazing people doing so many amazing things I believe there is no better time to start up than now, and the startup ecosystem in India is so vibrant. But I'm just loving, I'm buzzing on the energy of what's being created here. Love it, love it, um, Arjun. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, man. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your perspectives. Thank you, Hardik. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Keep doing the amazing work you're doing. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, please make sure you subscribe to Epilog Media and all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Jio Seven, Gaana, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, among many others, for upcoming episodes. You know, I love listening from each one of you. So please make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family and your colleagues. And please make sure to drop a comment on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And also, if you're listening on Epilog Media, they've recently launched a feature where you can comment on the particular episode too. Your support is my fuel. You can connect with me on Instagram at the rate Hardik Devadya or on LinkedIn too. Catch you on the other episode.